Okay, well, welcome back to the discussion on incorporation. This is the part two of that particular discussion. Why I believe in my mind that physicians, if there are no major and absolute contraindications, physicians should really consider incorporating their practices. In the first episode, we talked about the different reasons why incorporation is a good thing. And we also plotted along a graph the different comparisons between no incorporation, incorporation alone, incorporation with a personal pension plan, the PPP, and then incorporation using whole life participating life insurance. We mentioned that incorporation is just the first step. It is really a stepping stone to something else. And in this particular episode, we're going to be talking about what are steps number two, three, and four, and what else we can do with our corporation. More specifically, we will dive into the question of private pensions, and we're going to really have a deep dive of how to use insurance within the corporation to maximize wealth and also estate. This episode is really having a laser-focused discussion on participating and whole life insurance within a corporation and what are the benefits. So I hope you guys enjoy the discussion and also learn something new. At the same time, maybe give you some reflection of why you should consider incorporation even if there is no retained earning at the end of the year. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for healthcare professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. I want to talk about, you know, the incorporation plus the PPP or incorporation plus the the permanent life a lot of people stop at the incorporation and they don't know what to do afterwards because either they don't know or their advisors didn't tell them. Uh, And so the incorporation is just a launching pad to a better strategy. Don't stop at the incorporation. There are more things that needs to be done. Third point that you've mentioned, uh, you you mentioned, but I'm going to flip it in another way. This morning uh, on, on LinkedIn, I saw another advisor talking about participating life and permanent life and the values of it. And in his discussion, I think it was very eloquently put. The discussion was, well, you have a lot of people out there that talks about, well, if I accumulate enough money, I can self-insure, right? And I'll self-insure. And then at the age of 50, 55, I've got enough money. I don't need it anymore. So they abandoned their term insurance. And they don't believe that buying a permanent life insurance is of value. And this is where you show the contrary. This is where you show that, no, that's not true. That even past the age of 55, 60, that you should include, at least consider a product like a permanent life because in your living lifetime, you will be so much more wealth. You will accumulate so much more wealth. But let's say you accumulated wealth and you've never used it. Well, your estate now has much more wealth. So the estate part is definitely very beneficial. 
but even in living benefit, even at age 90, when I decide, you know what, I've got 17 million to use. And that 17 million inside our insurance policy, when it comes out, it comes out tax free, not a single dollar taxed. That for me is, is huge. And that for me really counter argues the argument of, well, I can self-insure. And so I really wanted to make that point. Yeah. And I, uh, I'll take another stab at it, which is the concept of self-insurance is, uh, it's, an, it's sort of an interesting one. So I can self-insure the dollar value of the problem. That's easy, but I don't have, I don't have section 148 or section 149. I can't remember which one it is of the tax act at my disposal, unless I use an insurance company. So I view a, a permanent insurance policy, maybe a little bit differently than you might think about insurance, which is it is actually a vehicle where I give over a period of time, an annual amount. So we think of it an insurance premium, but think of it a little bit differently as an investment. If I have an estate that I want to protect, then it's an investment. So I'm making a regular investment. I'm giving it to the insurance company. They are going to go invest it and they might be, they're not going to be bad at it, let's just say, but they'll get an average return and so on and so forth. So I'm giving them my 60-40 portfolio. And in fact, they invested a lot more conservatively than that. They are required to do so. And then I get it back later. So I've taken my money. I've given it away. I'm not paying tax on the, the accumulation uh, in my corporation. And then at the end of my life, I get it back. So really what I'm doing is over any other way of looking at this is I am just using the insurance company as a place to park my money, to invest it conservatively. So that's the one difference in terms of all of the other scenarios, which is I can't, I can't compel the insurance company to invest my money for me differently. There, there are other self-directed strategies you could use. Um, uh, a universal life policy would be an example. Given the timelines over which we're investing in an insurance policy, that lifetime of deposits, the insurance company is a perfectly good manager or teammate to have in your wealth accumulation. And so that's how I look at it, which is if I'm going to give money away, if I'm going to have a surplus, then a great way of doing it is taking the money and putting it away. If something happens to be in the near term, then I've got my risk covered as a young family with a mortgage, with a, I haven't fully earned all my, 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 um, my income that I'm going to earn, but 60 years down the road, when it comes time for, unfortunately for me to leave here, this earth, then there is money that's going to be re returned to my estate from the insurance company. And it comes back with a coupon that allows me to pay it out to the shareholders who survive me. So my family, my kids or grandchildren, whoever tax-free, you know, and you say tax, fully tax-free, I would caution you. There are some caveats sometimes about cost bases. When a policy is 60 years old, it's going to be almost completely tax-free, but there are some nuances in the early years, which may change that, uh, that effect, but I'll, I'll just leave it there. But I, I also want to add one more point is, you know, at the end of the life, when we leave here, that money goes to our state. And a lot of people will say, well, I don't get to enjoy that money. Well, that is the case for term life insurance, but for a participating life insurance or for a UL, that's not the case. The cash value sitting inside the policy is for you to use at the time that you choose to use it and for whatever you want to use it for. So the, par the permanent life insurance or the UL is actually a living insurance policy, whereas a term life policy is really a death policy because your estate only benefits from it only at time of death. And right. so... So it's very important for people to understand that, that distinction.
regardless of that distinction, your graph here clearly shows me that if I incorporate and use the insurance policy as an additional strategy, I come out ahead out of all the strategies you've presented to me. Yep. Do you want to go so do you want to go to the estate results or do you have another point to make here? Let's go to the estate and then I'll last I'll ask my last one later. Okay. Um, I will move through this a little faster because we've we've set the stage, we understand where we're at and we, we can understand um, uh, what each of the scenarios entails. So, you know, again, our, our non-incorporated scenario is pretty clear. We are gonna pay tax on the money that's left in the RSP. And we also have some probate taxes to pay, which we do in every scenario. And so we actually end up with less than 50% of what we had alive when we're 90 if we pass away that year. And that is we being, in this example, both the, uh, our physician and their spouse. There are actually five lines on this, and I'll get to the two yellow lines in a second. So we look at the, the estate value of incorporating, and you've got a significant increase in the estate value here. You have some erosion because you've got capital gains in the shares of the, of the estate. There is potentially after this, some when we pay out the money from the corporation, there would be taxes payable to whoever receives it. So uh, if you had an astute accountant who was looking at this graph, they'd say, well, hold on. That number seems a little bit exaggerated. I haven't, I've assumed we pay the capital gains that the estate owes on the shares, but I haven't fully distributed the money from the corporation. That would cost more tax, okay? So bear that in mind. Um, in the case of the PPP, you'll see there are two lines here. There's a dotted line and a solid line. The dotted line is... One of the features I'll say, one of the features of the PPP is it can be a very efficient estate planning tool if you take certain steps. So if you can involve other people in the PPP, if you can have your children um, uh, work for uh, the company, et cetera. So there are some, there's some very significant benefits to, to that. The lower line that I'm showing here is how a traditional pension plan would be taxed, but a PPP is not a traditional pension plan. Speaking to that, in the early years, the estate value of a traditional pension plan would be sacrificed, but the PPP is actually quite attractive. It is the most attractive, actually, if we can pass on the full value. By the time we hit age 90, uh, and again, this is in my software, so um, uh, it's not a perfect comparison. We get to the point where the estate value is uh, is 12 million relative to 11 million uh, in the corporation only. And again, that assumes we still have to pay the proceeds of the pension out to somebody, either in a lump sum or, uh, or over time, if we can keep it as a funded pension for another person. So the difference here, again, an astute person who's got their tax hat on would say, hold on, that's way too much. You're right. We are still not fully paying out the amount. And so that 12, if you paid it all out to one person would be taxed probably at 50%, it would be more like six. The 11 for the corporation only would be more like, probably have a bit of 40% erosion because you could dividend it. So it would be more like six as well. That being said, comparing it to $100,000, getting an after-tax fully distributed, fully, um, we'll call it diluted, five or six million is a way better result than a fully diluted $192,000. Right. Absolutely. But also, I think, as you mentioned earlier, it doesn't have to pan out that way for physicians and families that have children. If their children now can take over and sponsor the pension plan, uh, the pension plan doesn't have to close and collapse. And so the pension plan can continue. And this is where the estate 
uh, planning comes in where you can now have a transfer of intergenerational wealth really at a very, very tax efficient manner. So the PPP does not have to collapse when I die. Agreed. Yeah. So if those, if those, uh, if those situations or those um, opportunities sort of present themselves, then yeah, you've certainly got that. Again, if we wanted to be as rigorous and as, as much of a devil's advocate in this case as possible, you could argue, and I think you should, just to compare, somebody still has to receive that $12 million and it will be taxed as income. So I agreed. I agreed. you can still say, okay, it's still a $6 million problem. Fine, it is over time or immediately, but it's still a better overall outcome than uh, than not having $6 million. Right, so we're so talking we're about $6 million versus 192000 yeah, so that's that. So the final line we have here at the top, which is the insurance, and you'll note if you're looking, it's a bit lumpy. Um, and so the the insurance illustrations uh, kind of kick up at certain points of time. So you can see that at age 90, that insurance policy example, which is the corporation taking any retained earnings and investing it, but paying a premium to a savings strategy, which is this whole life, uh, ends up with 14. That 14 million is, again, it's not all insurance. So that should be noted that you've got investment account and an insurance policy. The bulk of the value of this person's life actually is not an in insurance. I think there's about a three and a half million dollar benefit. So again, that 14, three and a half of it would be fully tax-free and the remaining 11 would be taxed at 40 or 50%. And you would be at, you know, six plus three. And so that one would be kind of somewhere between eight and 9 million uh, to, you know, the beneficiaries, et cetera. So just to sum it all up, 192. So the idea in our no corporation is we've deplete capital. We want to do that. We want this family to have no money left at 90 in our example. And then we take all of those numbers and we pop them into the corporation and we end up with approximately 5 million, 6 million or 8 million in a corporation, in a PPP that's through a corporation or an insurance policy that's through a corporation. So I think those are very compelling, again, long-term numbers, current inflation rates, your money is worth half of what it is now every 30 years. Better way of saying that is a loaf of bread at current insurance rates will be double in 30 years than it is right now. Sorry, current inflation rates will be double what it is in 30 years than it is right now. So in this example, those numbers that we're talking about, they seem massive. They're still impressive, but the $8 million benefit really is only, you know, you divide that by two uh, twice. So it's it's two. So it's a, it's like making a $2 million decision to your benefit by doing that we got to remember that we're dealing with 60-year accumulation timelines. And if we want to kind of normalize that back to a decision today, I think these decisions are net accretive to people's net worth. In today's dollars, it would be like being given a million to $2 million in this example, uh, more than you would have. Uh, and then that would be the growth over time. I think that's a good point. It's a good point to remember that, yes, <laughs> inflation does come into play here uh, over years. But you know what? Uh, I, I want to put this into perspective because people don't understand what $2 million mean. $2 million is a lot of shifts for me. Right? <laughs> it's a lot of night shifts. There's a lot of day shifts. There's a lot of emerge shift. There's a lot of shifts in my family practice. There's a lot of OR time. And so $2 million is nothing to mock away. Absolutely. Now, imagine if I take $2 million and you say to me, 
if I implement this strategy or these strategies or a combination of, and I now have an extra $2 million when it's all said and done, it means that I don't have to go out and work those $2 million. You imagine the amount of time that I now have in my hands. And you know what, Jamie, people say that wealth is not how much money you have. Wealth is how much discretionary time you have. And for me, time is much more valuable than money. But if you're giving me $2 million, it means that there's there's a lot of time I don't have to spend to go make those $2 million. And that's the time I can spend with my family. That's the time I can spend to go on vacation. That's the time I can spend to go do missionary work in Haiti now, whatever your, your calling is, right? So it's nothing to mock at, uh, absolutely. And, and this $2 million absolutely can help you mitigate burnout, right? If we were really talking about clinical, clinically what I can do with that $2 million. Yep. And I think to your point too, and I'm just going to flip back to the net worth state. So you can see a big difference in the net worth, uh, sorry, the estate worth, because the insurance immediately gives you a benefit if something happens. So the, the interesting thing I thought of um, while we were talking, I'm mean, now going back to the previous one, the net worth, you you still actually have to wait about five years to see a noticeable difference in all four of these strategies. So to your point about building a spaceship, you know, you, it does take some time and some planning. That means you've got to get started. You've got to kind of work on this and, and it does take some time. Uh, having said that, and I'll leave us as a segue, I think we have one other comment conversation we're going to have about a, a sort of a mature doctor, a colleague of yours who has never incorporated, um, you know, it's not too late, you know, to get this done. And so you don't need to be 30 for this to work. So, okay. So let's go into that. I mean, the, the point that we're making is you want to plan for, for retirement, you plan on day one, you start working, right? Because it does take time to come to fruition. Similar to the rocket being launched, it took uh, Virgin Galactic 10 years. So it's not, it's not tomorrow. It's not something we start today and we get benefit tomorrow. Absolutely. But what if I didn't start when I was 30? Okay. So I have a colleague who is now 50 and, you know, very, very adamant that she does not want to uh, start a, a incorporation. Um, and so she is not worth it anymore because I'm now 50. So let's go into that a little bit. This one is less of a graph and more just numbers. What we can see here is there's there's a living value conversation that we want to have. I, I don't know your colleague, but I we took some, again, very round examples and said, okay, so at 50, I've accumulated a million dollars of an RSP and I've accumulated a million dollars of, of, of non-registered savings. You know, it's, I've got $2 million in the bank. I'm 50 years old. I've got, you know, some savings left to go. But assuming that this individual were to work until age 65, so I have an additional 15 years, the question that we wanted to ask or, or find out the answer to is, what happens if, if we incorporate now? I'm not testing any of the other strategies. So I'm just saying, is there, so we, we, I think we've pretty clearly proven that there is at the very least a compelling reason to explore some of the strategies you spoke about, including incorporation, because directionally they're so different than not incorporating. So we know that those strategies of the PPP and the PAR uh, participating life or whole life insurance are, are valuable ways to go approach it. So we didn't test those strategies. We just tested corporation or no corporation and what was the difference. So on the right side of the screen here, we have the living value, which is the, the, the money that I've accumulated with with no estate or distribution taxes payable. 
At age 65, my 50-year-old has accumulated $573,000 more over the next 15 years than they would have uh, if they had not incorporated. That is a pretty compelling case that in 15 years, you can still receive a pretty significant benefit by incorporating. And again, all we did when we did this example was to take a a non-incorporated individual, made some assumptions about spending, uh, made some some assumptions about obviously the the money that they'd earned. We did not invest it any differently in either of the two examples. And we came out $575,000 ahead. More importantly, the estate, so that the, by the way, the living value at age uh, 985, which is the other one we tested, um, and is not as stark. However, the estate value at age 85, which is the one we care about, because it's when we are likely going to be passing our assets on um, by virtue of, of the death of two, let's say, spouses, it is an additional $550,000 ahead. So there is the, the value is there both in accumulating the money that I need to live and in, uh, in having a, a reasonably well-apportioned estate. In this case, this individual also has a substantial RSP because they continue to contribute to it. And they have a substantial um, non-registered investment account because it's a big piece of the planning. So we don't get the big, big difference in that we saw in the original example only because they've locked in some other strategies that are that are affecting their tax outcome. And I would argue that it's not the worst thing in the world to have a non-registered account. But if you can have that money having been earned in a corporation, that, you know, to our point at the original, it's very reasonable that your income at the outset would, sorry, your savings would have been increased over the last, you know, 10 or so years that you've been allowed to incorporate by the differential in the tax rate. So again, I, I want to bring it back to, you know, real life perspective, living value of 573,000 more had I incorporated than if I didn't. That for me, and again, I try to translate this to what does it mean for me as VU, right? And so that's $573,000. I don't have to work more <laughs> just to get there, just to be equal, Right. And so how many shifts does that represent for me? How many hours does that represent for me? Uh, at the beginning of, of, our, of our podcast, I was saying how hard I was working and I was, I was going to my shift at six in the morning and I do different things and I don't finish till midnight. Uh, how many of those I don't have to do when I actually can get $573,000 more just by incorporating? So People look at numbers and it means nothing to them unless you tell them this is how much less you have to work to make to gain this exact same lifestyle. And that for me is powerful. Yeah, so I think the lesson obviously is is you know, I've got a network of, of professionals that I work with and did sort of pose the question. And I do have, I can say that a, vari- a large number of accountants are bewildered when the advice is do not incorporate. A lot of accounting professionals, and I think this is the right way of approaching it, would say nothing categorically. So there's no right answer, but the, the, the naysayers are quite categorical. It's not worth it. It's too expensive. It doesn't make sense. And I don't think that that approach is fully considered. I don't think it takes into account the long-term planning that you can and, and, and you know, uh, enhancements that you can get out of, of, of what comes from an incorporation. Notably today, we talked about a better tax rate, 
the existence of a personal pension plan and the, the purchasing of an insurance policy within the corporation. So those are the things that can be done. And I think if you look at all those as, as potential levers that you can pull, um, it starts to be very difficult to understand why someone would argue against incorporating. And again, facts should prevail. So you need to go through them, but um, it shouldn't be dismissed by any means. You know, I think part of the reason that uh, accountants and advisors, you know, tell their clients not to incorporate because of the cost and because of the complexity, which I don't think is that complex, but mainly the cost is because those advisors have not really strategically thought about the other things that could be do could be done with the incorporation, namely the insurance product and the private pensions. Let's end this conversation with a few statements and you tell me yes or no, what, what do you think? And I think you and I both agree on this. So I'm going to say we can, I think, unequivocally say incorporation, at least based on the numbers, is better than non-incorporation. Yes. I mean, again, with some caveats on the unequivocal part of it. So you do need to walk through that individual, their tax circumstances, et cetera. But uh, all things being equal, without any sort of those knockout situations, the corporation does provide significant benefits. And so I can be unequivocal in that regard. Yeah. I think you're right. There's there's never 100% in life. Yeah. <laughs> so the second, uh, the second statement is, in comparison, the RSP... Uh, in comparison with the incorporation plus a participating life, the the latter is more advantageous. Yeah, it came out in this scenario, yes. Um, and so I think that's the case. One of the big mitigating factors would be we did compare an entire lifespan. So we got a very young person. In this situation, yes. If I was 40 or 50, I would probably want to find out what the differential were as to which one was more advantageous. It will be up to that. And then of course, insurance depends on your good health. Uh, so that would be another, uh, another mitigating factor. But yes, in our example, it came out to be more advantageous. And again, largely because of the tax uh, outcomes of, of the return of capital that you get uh, from an insurance company. So I wanted to maybe address one point you says, if you're in good health, and that is very important. Yep. Because implementing this strategy is really a privilege, to be honest. Because if you don't have good health, the strategy is not is not available to you. To be in good health really is to do it earlier than later. And so if we're going to want to implement the strategy with the life product, then it should be considered earlier than later. Yeah. The third statement would be, well, if I were to compare an RSP with the incorporation plus the PPP, well, the, the incorporation plus PPP strategy is much more uh, tax advantageous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So if you remove even all of the potential benefits of a PPP, so, and by that, I mean, it's flexibility, you know, as a planner, I like to speak about things that are as certain as possible. So if we even remove all of the, the transition and the succession strategies that may exist in the PPP and you compare it against an RSP, absolutely. You get a much greater uh, retirement pool uh, available to you uh, at the end of the day than you do in an RSP on its own. So that's an easy answer. So the last one, tell me if it's an easy answer or not. And I'm sure there's going to be caveats here because I I'm, I, I already think of a few. Uh, even if I have zero retained earnings in the corp every year, strategically, there is a lot of value in the incorporation to build capacity and opportunity to do the two different strategies we mentioned. 
either a life product with the corporation, either the PPP with the corporation. And so the, the benefit uh, in the incorporation, even with zero retained earnings, much more outweighs the drawback, which is the cost. Yeah, and I, I would argue, I'd like to go back maybe to what we talked about earlier. Nobody has no retained earnings. When you think of it that way, then the corporation, then your statement becomes powerful, which is, I might not be, it might not be today that I get to save the amount of money that I want to eventually, but I do have a view that I will want to set in place a, a pension plan for my family. I will want to set in place some enhanced you know, insurance strategies. I will also want to have an investment account. We haven't talked about that a lot. But in all of these strategies, you had a significant self-directed investment that was being invested on the side. All of those things are things that you you would get to do more effectively than uh, than if you were not incorporated. And some of them need you to start early. And so in that way, the, the existence of the corporation, even if you cannot legitimately save today, any money. So student debt, mortgage, but you're starting your practice. You think of all the reasons why today you may not be able to actually save any money anywhere. This is not the year. I still think that it is a reasonable strategy to put in place for tomorrow. And I think that's important. It's the tomorrow because we're not doing this just for today and we're not living just for today or the next year or two, right? We're, li- we're doing this for the rest of our lives. And so that that tomorrow needs to be planned today. So on that note, Jamie, thank you very much for spending so much time with us and going through the numbers and going through the benefits and and having this great discussion. Before we leave, is there anything else you wanted to say that must need to get off your chest? (laughs) No, not nothing. I think you're in a unique position to be able to offer. You've got a you've got an industry that uh, in some of the stuff we spoke about today that is great at promoting. Everybody has a story about an insurance agent uh, or a car salesperson and they they kind of fall in the same thing. You know, I think the thing to get off our chest and and where you want to, and I think you constantly are are moving this through when you come through is there are lots of great professionals out there who deal in the strategies we've spoken about. So you've had JF in particular on to talk about the PPP. Mostly you have an advisor that works with an actuary that would put together a strategy like that. There are plenty of well-thought, well-meaning insurance advisors who understand these enhanced planning concepts. There are enhancements on top of what we spoke about today. And I think a, a, a good team of people um, to explore, I think you need to look at timelines out and you need to have, you know, you need to have someone that can do that. And so planning is the first thing that we talk about when we have a new client. The last thing we talk about is investment management because it is ultimately, it's important, but it is not what's going to win the day. The, the overwhelming strategies as we've seen today, you can add two, three, four, five million dollars of value just by positioning yourself properly. So I think that is, that is what I'm gonna implore people to do is find someone who can explore and knock out, if it's not, imp- if it's not worth doing, knock out these strategies and at least consider them for, for whoever it is that they're, that they're advising. Thank you very much. I, I want to end by saying, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. Uh, so that's the first thing. And the second thing is, you don't know what you don't know. And so if you're doing this all on your own, and I know there's a lot of DIYers out there, and if you're doing this on all your, on your own, 
and you don't know what you don't know, you'll never know about these and never consider them. So please get a team, get a team together, get a team to work for you. It's no different than, you know, your patients having a team surrounding them for their medical issues. So that team and that planning is very important. Thank you very much, Jamie, for all your time today. And it's been a very, very informative and very insightful. And I appreciate your time and your help. And I'm sure my audience will appreciate that as well. All right. Thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you very much. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.